1: Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that, that couple shout-in. shouting, it's Dana and Jay.
0: It's Dana and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Ground. This is The Walkout. Paul Eater Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. We are here with you after... Jay, I think uh, I might have to break out the rankings of wildest games in this stadium's history. uh, Because... I'm not sure where this one ends up, but it's close to the top. Steelers 23, Bengals 20 in overtime. I like to give like a real quick synopsis of like a real quick thought coming out of it right here at this point in the walkout. I don't know where you start. <laughs> what an insane <laughs> four hours. How would we end up at? Four hours. We ended up almost four hours. 342, I Three, think man 342. I mean, what an insane 342 that occurred
1: here today. Just ridiculous. I mean, can Zach Taylor, he hasn't had a normal opener yet. It seems like everyone is crazy. Last year, Evan wins it at the gun. You have the controversial AJ penalty in Burroughs' debut in 2020 and then that wild game in Seattle in 2019. Um, It's just kind of what this league is. These games come down to the very end, but this one had so many twists and turns to get to the end and, and so many... So many things that Bengals fans are going to be mad about, and let's face it, Joe Burrow's performance was not the greatest, but that should probably be the, the least concerning thing because I think a lot of people realize that, that he's going to bounce back.
0: Yeah, I, there's a lot to get to. I want to get into a lot of the decisions that people are talking about and will be talking. Zach Taylor under fire with a number of ways that some of these situations uh, unfolded here on Sunday. Um, a lot of them having to do with what ended up being – you would have thought T. Higgins going out with a concussion early would be the biggest injury of the game. Mm-hmm. Not even close. Clark Harris uh, ends up with a biceps injury and is out. We're only left to assume when you hear that um, an instant out on a biceps injury that it's probably pretty serious and, and it's going to be – the season it, it, you, more than likely. But for today, it brings the old backup long snapper situation into play and so many of the things that ended up happening that we – You're breaking down over the course of the game. We're affected directly by that and inevitably at the end end up opening up a little window for Pittsburgh to take advantage and kick a field goal. Boswell from 53 as time runs out. We're going to get through those. We have to talk about Burrow's day, where it came from, what we think of it why he was the only person left in the locker room sitting in front of his locker, staring ahead while we all left and everyone else had basically left. Um, we're going to get into all of that type of stuff and then kind of turn this forward with a big picture of of what this really means and, and what we saw today because it wasn't just five turnovers. It was seven sacks. Yep. It was a lot of the same stuff uh, that was supposed to be partially fixed, right? But it wasn't. Let's start here. Let's start with the entire Wilcox long snapping situation. We get, in, we get into the locker room afterwards, after, you know, there's a couple of situations. I think one, Mitch Wilcox, Jay, you talked to him. I was on the other side of the locker room. He
1: has done this before and does practice it, right? Yes. Yeah, well, he, he long snapped in high school. He was the backup in college, and they do practice it. This If this, if this happened last year, CJ Uzama is the backup long snapper. He's gone now, obviously. Um, we don't really know how much he actually practices, but he does practice long snaps. They're prepared for this. They know. You only have one. You only carry one on game day. Anything is to happen to Clark Harris, who, by the way, is getting up there in age. So it's not something that caught them off guard. Uh, But it is um, it's a tough spot to throw a guy in. And he to Mitch's credit after Zach got done, we walked in the locker room and he's sitting at his locker in the towel in a towel just waiting. He, He knew the mob was coming. And I think there was probably three or four waves that went through. He he's sat there and answered every question. And uh, he actually, he was more mad about the second one. He didn't think, he thought the first one was decent enough. And I I think he's got a point. If if Fitzpatrick doesn't come as a free runner, basically, Evan McPherson makes that. The the one, the overtime field goal was that one, that snap was a little worse, which you would expect. A guy that's never done it before in that spot. First one's not great. Maybe it gets in his head. Um, And, then uh, they has a long snap on a punt, too, and everyone's holding their breath. And they did get it off, but maybe a little too soon. Yeah, so, you know, that that the whole thing with Minka Fitzpatrick,
0: I mean, people are going to blame, going to talk about the Wilcox snap, which was not tight. But when you combine one that wasn't as quick as you normally get mm-hmm. with the fact that, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick goes right past, you know, Drew Sample kind of has two guys uh, and he gets his shoulder into one. And the other one is Mika Fitzpatrick just coming through untouched for the block on it. I mean, when that's the case, there's not a lot of snaps that can get back there fast enough to avoid that thing getting blocked. I mean, so, you know, that's I'm, you're, you're right. You can't necessarily put it on that. The question, the big one that came up at the end was, OK, well, you have to punt now. From the fifty, which, by the way, the decision bot I think was saying that maybe the Bengals should be going for that at the fifty fourth and long. That That's we very can, long, yeah, you can you can debate that. I, I I don't necessarily think a punt is a terrible idea. They damn near got an interception uh, on on the next drive, but they punt, and there is fifteen seconds on the play clock when they actually snap. The punt when you're trying to leave as little time as possible and ended up being the difference in the game, mm-hmm. you know, and the Zach Taylor said that that came down to nervousness about the operation because Pitt, they didn't want Pittsburgh timing up. They thinking at that point. Just get it off, right? right? Like, just don't get it blocked. They're clearly going to be coming after you. Don't get it blocked. So go off your normal timing where Pittsburgh isn't in the place they want to because they have been doing stuff like that to them earlier in the game, mostly timing related. Now, that was the explanation given. Is that a head coach falling on the sword for Mike Thomas, personal protector, calling the snap too early?
1: Uh, we, we just don't. Well, we don't know. But that is what was said. Yeah. And he did. He did say communication issue, too. So I yeah. think it was a, a situation where, yes, they don't want to wait and snap it with one second left. But, yeah, you want to you want to run it down five, six. I mean, you you take another 10 seconds off and I don't know that, that Pittsburgh gets there. Uh, gets down the field and gets set up for a Boswell game winner and the the play in question, the punt, it was 4th and 16 from the 50. If you don't get that, then Pittsburgh is right there in field goal range, whereas you you, you you punt it, you make them go a little bit further, eat up more time I, I do think that was the right call to punt it but they, they definitely should have run off more clock. There's no doubt. So then another play, that, so that that's all
0: part of the end that ends up in the, the Boswell field goal this after, you know Evan McPherson had missed the two short chip shots. Um, Evan McPherson, by the way, not blaming anybody but himself mm-hmm. a- and essentially said, look, that's the operation was fine. That's on. It's on me. Like that's it's on my from the, he wasn't pointing fingers. You know, he, he's that's hard. I mean, to, to not be in your own head about what the timing is even going to look like when this thing comes out and it's off, you know, and. Should, should Kevin Huber with the high snap have sat on it? Because they decided to kick it on third down with that in mind. Basically, Zach Taylor said it's, it's if it's low, if you can't get it down, mm. it, it, it sit on it. Not a matter because he, Kevin did get it down. It was just a beat slower than you're used to. Yeah. And that's, and that ends up being Evan just way overcooking cooking it uh, and, and missing the, the chip shot. So, You've got that side, the other big decision that people were talking about, and they eventually do end up getting the touchdown, so it's it's hard to say whatever, but you know, there's a play where they throw one to Chase at the front pylon. He catches it, and he's sitting right here in, in – right on the goal line, and it – Zach Taylor basically said, Look, from where we are, it's the worst possible place for us to see something. He's running all the way on the other side of the field. He's like, when he caught it, I didn't think he was in because of where you're at, it didn't look like he could have been in. He said, But the time and so you go and you go ahead thinking, okay, you've got him, you're on the inch line, you got him in in there. Package their non-goal line package. You run up, force them to try to defend you at the goal line from an inch in a non-goal line package. They do that. In that time, the the stops, you know, in the the headphone, the stop is coming down but not fast enough. Mm -hmm. And so they end up running the play before they have a chance to stop it and be like, look, actually think he's in. You know – you can see both sides of that. But, I mean, there was a they, – they end up not getting in. They end up right. get, ended up not getting in on no score there uh, after four bad plays from the inch line well, after they pushed back two. And so it, that absolutely – at that point in time felt like uh, that was the game. That just cost them the game, a decision not to challenge that. And his point was sort of a little bit of a lesson learned in that situation. Um,
1: but – yeah, you've got to be thinking give it a chance to at least see a replay before you get up. Yeah, the problem was cuz I was watching the game on my my laptop, um, not. I was watching the game, but I would I could go back and look at what they were showing live and there there was only the one replay and it wasn't down the goal line and it was really hard to tell. It is so a lot of people are saying, "Oh, that's the it's ho- the farthest place to see. It doesn't matter cuz you got jumbotrons." That's not the case here because they couldn't there were CBS was slow with the replays. And the other thing is that Jamar Chase said he didn't think he got in. And a lot of times on these plays, they kind of rely on the player. You see it all the time. The player's like, I caught that or I did this and challenge it, challenge it. There was none of that because Jamar didn't even think he got in. And then the third piece of this where, yes, hindsight 2020 should have challenged it. But if you think about it, I think there was 254 to go. You got first and goal at the inch. You're thinking you're going to punch that in. And if you don't, worst case scenario, you burn more time. Um, you're thinking you're going to get it first down, and just plow it right in. If that doesn't happen because Mixon did lose yards, you burn more time. You get Pittsburgh less time to answer. So I kind of see the thought process there where if you have first and goal at the inch yard, you should score. But the way it played out, of course, they did not. So it's just – it was a tough situation all the way around. It's, it's, it's hard to, to hammer Zach on that one. Like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. but with the, the lack of replays, without Jamar selling it, uh, without him getting buzzed from upstairs, it, it would have been – I don't know. You, you never know when those timeouts are going to come. You're going to need them, and it would have been risky to burn one there.
0: All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. They still end up going down and they end up with one play for the game <laughs> from the six. Uh, and it ends up being Jamar Chase getting open at the other pylon. Yep. and get you know, after he almost had a couple plays before, one of the oh, most yeah. ridiculous could have been, you know, walk off type touchdowns with like a one hand, and he just barely missed getting to split down. He ends up finally getting it, uh, on that last play. And you're thinking. Unbelievable, mm-hmm. Right? After all of that, after Mike Tomlin, I don't know what was going on with Pittsburgh on their drive after yeah. that. I, I have no clue. I mean, they even get the 15-yard penalty to pull them out from under the shadows right. of their goalposts as Chase got hit for unsportsmanlike. They – had to use a timeout. They were throwing. Like, I mean, it, it was just in unfathomable... I mean, the Bengals got the ball back with 126 and a timeout. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that even possible? They only had to use one timeout in the entire process. Um, So, they still go down and they should have won the game. Then in overtime, they go down Hayden Hurst with an incredible catch yes. on the sideline uh, on a great play by Burrow. And they missed the chip shot. They should have won the game there. I mean, these are two... The, the concept of Evan McPherson missing two, an extra point length and a ch- easier chippy tw- twice in the same game, both that would have given you a win are unfathomable, you know, and that's what kind of brings me, you know, when we start talking about the big picture of this. Teams that are minus five in the turnover bucket <laughs> yes. don't win games. No. They're not close. It is not anything remotely like what we just saw. Last 10 years, Jay, teams that were minus five, exactly minus five in the turnover, were 0 26 and 1. There was a tie. There was a tie. Only total six. Of those 26 games or even within a score, teams just get blown out. You get run off the field. To be right there where you should have won, I'm not saying silver lining or whatever. Like, eventually you're going to count wins and and that's going to matter. And we may look back at the end of the season and think back to opening day absurdity and say that cost them whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact that after that horrid first half – from the offense in Burrow To come all the way back And get themselves in a position over and over again I do think That people are going to want to overreact To this And this loss That I do think there's a bigger picture in this That I the defense looked great Burrow is not going to be that <laughs> Like that's just He's just not going to let it happen So I for that fact I, I tend to come away with maybe a rosier picture than probably most fans do right now, and I, I get the frustration over a game he felt like he gave away. But um, I think in the big picture, they're not going to be a team that makes this many mistakes. Maybe they will be. Maybe that these types of games will define their year this year. I tend to think not.
1: No, I mean Joe Burrow's never thrown four interceptions in a game before. That happens today, and it's not just the five turnovers. One of them was a pick six. So it's a touchdown. It's not just a turnover, even though some of the other turnovers led to touchdowns. And then there's the seven sacks. I mean, just for this game to be that close, having given up five or given giving the ball away five times, seven turnovers, it's it is pretty remarkable. And yes, there's no moral victories, anything like that. But it, it I think it says something about this defense in particular, this team that. They were still in it. I mean, we're we're talking about a missed extra point being the difference between the win and a loss. And yeah, they're not automatic anymore. They pushed them back, but to to be in that position to fight back constantly and and get that touchdown on the with two seconds left in regulation, I people were they, the players were disappointed in the locker room. Uh, nobody seemed pissed. Well, well, did you get somebody pissed? Well, well, yeah. nine was yes. <laughs> But he's, but he's the one that made the most of the mistakes. The, the other guys were like, we know who he is. He's going to bounce back. I asked Jamar Chase. I said, you've been around Joe for a long time. What, what's he like the week after he has a bad game? He's like, I have no idea. Never had a bad game. <laughs> <laughs> so this is. This is all new, and yes, it's, it, it, and I'm sure it stings every one of those guys. I'm sure it stings all you guys listening, but it's week one. Deep breaths.
0: Let me, let me do a little bit of a throwback that Bengals fans also are not going to like. However, I do think it, there's an interesting thought here. I'm sorry to do this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm sorry to do this. So just just hang with me, okay? The year was 2009. It, it's the opening day game. Carson Palmer drives the Bengals down the field for a game-winning touchdown in the final seconds. Okay? Mm-hmm. They are up 7-6. to six on the Denver Broncos and with 14 seconds left from his own end zone Kyle Orton throws the bomb down the field. This is for a lot of you new Bengals fans that just came <laughs> in this year who aren't, like, still pained by this memory. The ball is tipped up into the air by uh-huh. Leon Hall. Brandon Stokely catches it and ends up going 80, 90-some yards for the most improbable win and I think might be number one craziest game just for that single play yeah. in the history of this stadium. What happened that year, Jay. Won the division? The Bengals went on to rip off a ton of wins, including a huge win the next week in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. Won the division and had, you know, one of the better seasons in the entire – Like, they didn't lose in week one because they were a bad team, you know. And and there were a lot of things to take from that. But I just think the dramatic nature of that game and the way that you lose can leave a bit of an imprint. I – in the long run, you know, it, you can end up looking back and be like, man, imagine if they would have won that game, they should have won. How mm-hmm. good they actually would be. The Bills lost to these Steelers last year in the opener, twenty three to sixteen. I, I mean, a lot of really good teams. Uh, you know, it's not. It, it, I don't think because I don't believe that Burrow is going to be this guy. No, that I'm taking away in the big picture any less feeling any differently about my 11-6 prediction than I did today. And, I, yeah, I had them winning this game, but I'm sure there will be some that probably end up going the other way. I just think, yes, that's why you don't say they're going to – it's hard to go 15-2 and two yeah. or 14-3 and three because this is what the NFL looks like, man. T- Pittsburgh's defense, I, you hate to see the injuries that happen to them mm. with T.J. Watt with the bicep. They are going to win games like okay. that. Like their offense is pretty dreadful, but yes. they're going to win games because that defense is absolutely for real. Let me say, let's say this: What do you account for on Burrow's first half?
1: You know, I, I maybe the appendectomy just putting him a little behind. Maybe no preseason snaps. The the whole going from from country club to what maybe boot camp, bingo boot camp this week. I mean, I, I don't know. It just a couple of them seemed forced maybe when things aren't sharp early maybe when you get hit early like he was you do start forcing things it was uncharacteristic of him obviously um i I don't know maybe maybe it's a little bit of everything he he insisted the appendectomy had nothing to do with it zach said the same thing but it it clearly put him behind and i don't think he was feeling the effects of it because he he was taken off and running and, and really kind of we hadn't seen that really since his rookie year. I think he had that play in the Tennessee game where he took off and took a shot, but he was pulling the ball down and taking off and, and really no cares given just trying to get as many yards as possible. Um, but it's a lot of it. I, I, the, the pressure, probably the number one thing This the line that they supposedly fixed. It was the biggest issue last year really didn't do much to, to help him out early in that game. And it seemed like they did kind of get it together in the second half that they, they Pittsburgh still got pressure, but it wasn't unrelenting like it was in that first half. So I, I think you combine that, everything, the the taking it easy in the offseason, the appendectomy, the, the pressure, a fantastic defense, um, and maybe just a, a, a little bit of forcing the issue for Joe Burrow. I think it all added up to that awful first half, especially first play sack, second play pick six. I mean – it doesn't get worse than that, and you, you, you're fighting from behind from that minute on. Totally fooled
0: pick six. I yeah. mean, mink up Fitzpatrick all over. It reminded me of Jesse Bates in the Tennessee game, where yeah. Tannehill just throws it right to him on the first play, like a bait, it was baited, you know, and he just sat on it and it ends up taking it to the house. Um, and yeah, I'm with you. I just think there's a a knocking off of the rust element to it. Mm-hmm and not really necessarily knowing what the pressure was going to be like and how under CG – I mean, Jesus. I mean, he would – that first half and some of the second half. I mean, that first half, sack fumbles and -hmm. getting hit from behind, getting blown up in his face. I can't tell you how many times Joe Burr – I couldn't count how many times he had to make a throw with one of his interior guys back right up against his face. Mm -hmm. Like just getting pulled back. Now, you're asking Cordell Wilson. Fourth round pick out of North Dakota State to block Cam Mm -hmm. Hayward. And they're running games with TJ Watt showing up in his face. I mean, they're, they're, they had one clear thing. Let's go, let's just continue to run things that attack 67 at the guard spot. And they did. And they took advantage of him. And that's a tough spot. You know, it's, Yet again, the bad Jackson-Carmen pick, you know, you should have a guy with a who's a higher pick from a previous year already in that spot. Instead, you're stuck having played fourth-rounder from North Dakota State against Cam Hayward. But the point being, you know, I – so after the game, I, I want to th- th- – this is going to be very much discussed is, is Burrow – I mean, we left at 533. Mm-hmm. Um, No, I mean, there was maybe one or two other players in the locker room. There was four players and seven media members. I counted. Yeah. And Burroughs didn't move. from the time his little, his, what, five, ten-minute press Mm -hmm. conference ended. He went to his chair. He sat on his phone for a small amount of time and then put his phone down and sat there and just stared straight ahead. Uh, At one point, Sam Hubbard came up and talked to him briefly. Jamar Chase gave him a quick Dap on his way out the door. Ted Karras came over and was like, kind of gave one of these, like, I don't know what you're like after losses, buddy, but you know, <laughs> if you're just saying go the hell away, but it's all good, and then kind of goes and then goes back. Very Ted Karras. He's a very courteous yes. guy. And then really, no one was even left to even approach him. Now, I want to say this because everybody tweeted about it, understandably after the game, what have you. I've heard this about Joe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've, I've heard this from multiple people that this is what he's like after losses. We. Have never been in the locker room with Joe Burrow after a game before like that he played in. This is the first time we've been in the locker room. He was a COVID draft pick. So we have not been in the locker room. So no one has ever seen this to compare this to anything else. Uh, We've seen videos of him after wins Mm -hmm. in the smoking cigar thing or whatever. But I've heard that this is who he is after losses. Now, to see it is pretty jarring. Like It's pretty notable. But that doesn't mean that he's taking – this one, like harder, or he's more disappointed, or Sadie McSatterson, more than anything. This could, I mean, I, I would fully believe from everything that I've heard, this is just who he is after a loss, whether he threw for 500 yards or had a day like today where he threw four picks for the first time
1: in his life. Yeah. I mean, maybe even Brody Miller doesn't know because I think in college they don't get to go into the locker room, right. they rely on everybody coming to them. So we don't know. Um, What what he's like, we've seen him at the podium after losses and it's a different Joe Um, and after the Super Bowl at the the big podium right outside the locker room. But you're right. This is the first time um, and not just sit. I mean, still in full uniform. Yeah. And just staring straight ahead. Who knows what's going through his mind? Um, replaying the game or stewing, whatever it is, but it was notable because there were. It, it was almost. I would. I would venture to say he was the last one out because those other four that were still they were already dressed and showered and everything. Burroughs still had to go through that whole process. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know.
0: I, I don't know. I, I hate. I don't like. Like I don't like making a big deal out of this stuff because because people. Process things in. that is out of the ordinary, mm-hmm. but but he's out of the ordinary as a player. It's not necessarily out of his ordinary. You know, his pregame routine is also out of the ordinary when he shows up earlier than everybody else. So I, you know, it's hard. I have a, I have a hard time making judgments over how Joe Burrow's feeling. I don't have a photographic memory. I can't go back through every play in my head when I sit down. I can't do that now and we've got a game book in front of us, okay? Yeah. Like like so I don't I I don't know. I'm not going to make a bunch of sweeping judgments other than to say I fully expect Joe Burrow to rip the crap out of the ball next weekend. Mm-hmm. Like I I it, you just know when you know a guy enough, when you've seen it enough, um, you have a feeling that whatever it is is uh, is going to get corrected by the time they end up in Dallas next week and trying to put this behind them. Until we see fully the you know the offensive line and can really go back and look at it as far as who, what, where, you know, it's it's hard. You know, to really make some sweeping judgments other than obviously it's not very good. I mean, Pittsburgh's all over. But also Pittsburgh, I wrote about this in the lead up. They do this. (laughs) They averaged the last five years that they've led the league in sacks. um, They've averaged about 20 pressures, 19 to 20 pressures a game via PFF. The last two openers. At the Giants on Monday Night Football, they had thirty-seven uh two years ago. And then last year against the Bills, they had thirty. I mean, sixty-seven pressures in two games. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the I I haven't seen what the, we'll see in the morning what the number ends up being. I would that feels about that felt like a thirty plus pressure game to me. Well yeah, they uh, ran over hundred plays. Yeah. So I mean I can only imagine how many it actually was. I Pittsburgh does do – like they do this. and So that's also – this is as tough as – maybe as tough as they'll see all year as far as a pure pressure and willingness to bring it against them. Uh, So we'll see how this all goes forward. That will wrap us up. Um, Plenty to unpack as the week goes on. So uh, I recommend uh, checking out The Athletic, our stories that will be up, and as we go on throughout the week, kind of going back through this and preparing for next week's against Dallas uh, at noon – Tomorrow, we will have a live room. So, you guys remember the live rooms from last year? Uh, you can uh, listen live at noon uh, during the lunch hour, and we'll talk, take your questions and talk through uh, how, whatever you guys have from today's game and going forward. Uh, press conference with Zach Taylor and open locker room tomorrow in the mid afternoon. So more to come from that. Keep it locked to us on Twitter and beyond. All right. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.